take your Bible, if you would, please, and find the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15 will be our text tonight. Um, I hope and pray you're able to see a scripture, whether it be on a digital device or whether it be the Bible itself as you hold it in your hand. Those of you that are watching online, I would encourage you as well to get your Bible out. Uh, Maybe grab an ink pen or two as we will navigate our way into this wonderful chapter. We actually will just intrude right into the middle of the chapter. If you are a Bible student, you know very well the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke as the Lord Jesus is teaching here. And he's teaching in one of his favorite styles through parable, which was a way that he would communicate uh, by story. And he would communicate by simplicity, a truth, and uh, he would tell an earthly story that would have a heavenly truth. The parables here deal with salvation, they deal with redemption, they deal with loss and found, they deal with death and with life. Um, of course, they are a wonderful uh, explanation of the goodness of God to the sinners of verse number 1 the publicans and the sinners. Um, These were folks that were were looked down on by the group that's mentioned in the second verse, the Pharisees. You've been with me in the book of John on Sunday mornings. You know the Pharisees were a self-righteous religious group that knew everything religious but God. They did not know God. And so they were made righteous by their own thought and their own mind, but they were not made righteous by the Son of God to set them free. And so as the publicans and the sinners were looked upon as gross or grotesque in their wickedness and distant from righteousness, they were listening to the Lord Jesus tell about the love of God and the salvation available to them. The Bible really refers to uh, them as they as a friendship that they had with the Lord. He was a friend of sinners. You read in the scripture many publicans that came to know the Lord personally as their Savior. Uh, you, you could really incorporate that in the common man that heard the Lord gladly. And so many of these parables speak to them as uh, the gospel is presented. But there's an exposure in these parables to the Pharisees as to their hidden unrighteousness. In our text tonight, we will be concentrating on verses 11 to verse 24. You know this section as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, You know that even though it's called the parable of the prodigal son, in verse number 11, the man had two sons. Of course, the first one that we hear about or will represent the publicans and the sinners and the repentance and uh, salvation that they find. The second son that you read about in verse number 25, he's referred to as the elder son. And the elder son will be the exposure of the Pharisees as far as the murmuring, the complaining, the rejection of the Lord in their heart. And so I, I want to read the parable This passage of scripture can be preached a million times and the messages that can come out of the 15th chapter of the gospel of Luke are just without end. Um, The expository way of that leads to 
the setting and the timing and the direction. There's much application that comes. But I think that visiting this home tonight and this passage fits in our series, Christian Home. Uh, we began this and embarked on this series weeks ago as I preached you messages on what is a Christian home, the purpose of a Christian home, in that it is to glorify God, it is to be a light for the gospel, and to pass down faith in Christ to our children and to our heritages there. I preached you on the necessity of a Christian home having a biblical world view. We also preached on the fact that a Christian home from the home of Lot is a separated home, separated away from worldliness, separated away from the things that are uh, follow the theme of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. As we're separated away from worldliness in our homes, our homes should be separated unto the Lord Jesus. And so we preached about that. You can listen to that. And then the last message was two weeks ago that a Christian home is free from the accursed. And we went to the home of Achan, and Achan um, was disobedient in his uh, life, disobedient against the direction of God, the Word of God. And Achan thought that he could hide his disobedience as evidenced by his stealing of that which was dedicated to the Lord and that which was to be looked at as accursed by God. And he dug a hole and he buried it in his tent. And the Bible says that he brought reproach on all of Israel. As you know, they go to the battle of Ai and lose that battle because of that. But when you study um, Achan's life, you find not only was it reproach to the nation of Israel, but it destroyed his own home. And we talked about... Christian homes not having sinful things or acts of disobedience buried in our homes. Buried in our homes where they're not confessed unto the Lord. Buried in our homes where they're hidden to everyone but to you and to God. Um, They're there spreading uh, the the evilness of that moment. And so we don't want that in our home. And, and our homes are destroyed many times by the leadership of the home bringing in disobedience, bringing in unfaithfulness, bringing in wickedness, and finding some place in our home and digging a hole and burying it. We may not touch it all the time or be around it all the time, but it's there all the time. I submit to you, that once it comes into the home, the blessing of God leaves the home. And I don't know any Christian home that would want anything but God's power on our homes. Amen? And so these are things and truths that we've been looking at in our homes. Jesus tells the story about a home. It's a successful story in some degree uh, of what happens in the home. I'll read it to you. And then we'll make our way verse by verse. Verse number 11. And he said, that being Jesus, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them unto his living. 
And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance, his inheritance, with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. What a good job for a little Jewish boy. And he would, if you have a King James Bible, the word is feigned. The old English word there is gladly. He was excited to have something. He would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came, where class? To himself. He said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. All of you have rehearsed a speech before your mom and dad at one time in your life, right? I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. You're not called somebody's son because you're worthy. You're called somebody's son because you're born. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Verse number 20 says, And he arose... And came to his father. He's got his speech ready. He's ready. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had what class? Compassion. And ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, here's his speech. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Verse 22 says, but the father said, the son had more speech to that, right? He didn't even get a chance to say, make me as one of thy servants. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the, what's that word? Best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. The old joke used to be the only one not excited for the prodigal to come home was the fatted calf. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to be merry. We'll stop there. I want to speak to you tonight on a message, really and truthfully, that I think could be preached to all of the homes in our world. But 
really and truthfully concentrated tonight in our homes as Christian homes. And I read this chapter and I read this story and I find God's permission tonight to include inside the series of a Christian home a message entitled, A Christian Home and the Power of Love and Forgiveness. I would dare say, I don't know two other actions that more beautify a home than love and forgiveness. I don't know anything that fragrances like a apple cider candle, a home like love and forgiveness. I don't know anything that makes a home feel more like home than love and forgiveness. I do not know anything that is more painful in people's lives than to live in a home void of love and forgiveness. I find that growing up in a home absent of love and forgiveness will leave a pretty big hole in a man or a woman. I find growing up in a home absent of love and forgiveness makes a man or a woman make a lot of promises that sound like I will never be like that in my home. I will be different. I find growing up in a home that is absent of love and forgiveness brings suspicion and difficulty, hardness to the relationships of our lives. One final thing I find I find that in a Christian home, if there's absent love and forgiveness, it will be very hard to see your children come to Christ. Jesus tells us the story tonight of a successful home. Successful in the fact that when you think about the purposes of a home where God is glorified, where the gospel, the home is a light for the gospel and faith is passed down. I think you will find that in the evidence of what happens here in the parable of this home. I submit to you that the successful home, the story of a successful home begins with a serious problem. I want to say as your pastor and in being in ministry for 26 years, Every home has problems. Amazes me how many people come to church and you sit by people and you think that their lives are perfect and yours is hell. Or they have problems or their their lives are absent of problems. And somehow we can sit in a group of people and we can belong to a church. And we can somehow think that the only person in the room that has problems is me. I find this to be true about the way sometimes that we view our homes. We think that our home has 
problem that is unique, has a problem that nobody else has. I mean, I wish my home could be like the pastor's home because there's no way the pastor's home has any problem. She could answer and attest that she lives with a problem sometimes, right? There's a lot of problems that attack our homes. Financial problem, um, health problem, all kinds of things that attack our home. Really and truthfully, probably the hardest one to deal with are the relational problems. A husband learning to relate to a wife. A wife learning to relate to a husband. Parents learning to relate to children. Children learning to relate to parents. God knows who could ever relate to teenagers. They're an island unto themselves. Relational problems inside our homes usually are problems that venture deep within our souls. There's, there's, there's something about keeping that problem hidden from the outside world. So you can have a husband and a wife that in their home they fight like cats and dogs, but they'll hold hands into the work Christmas party, right? Or even better, to church. Right? Or if there's a difficulty that it just, it just keeps hidden. Every home has problems. Relational problems are very difficult. A lot of times it is a relational problem that builds bitterness and feeds it to where it has sustainability as we transition outside of our homes. And sometimes we carry the relationships, the relational problems of our homes into the relationships of the homes as adults. I want to take you through the chapter or through the passage and I want to be very, very, very practical. And I just kind of want to paint you a glimpse of what's going on inside of this home so you can understand the problem of the home. And when we get to the end of the, of the passage, as, as, as ugly as the problem is, the beauty of the, of the response especially when it comes from with love and forgiveness. And so let's begin with what I do believe to be probably the most ugly part of a relational problem. Would you look at verse number 12? And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, give me. I find that selfishness, as identified here by the younger son, is a main problem and a main cause of of relational problems. If you take the Lord Jesus away from us, we're selfish people. Selfishness will destroy every relationship you have. Selfishness knows no height or depth. Selfishness will make you think things and do things you never dreamed you could do. Selfishness cares about the survival of one person. 
And even though it may begin harmless, innocent, with a smile, at the end, it's you or me, and it's going to be you. The young son in the home has a selfish problem. This is not a problem that he learned from his father. This is a problem that he developed on his own. The father, as we know from the text and representing the heavenly father, we understand and know that he's anything but selfishness. And yet, we find that this young boy has developed a selfish attitude. I want to say to those of us that have children and those of us that are still having them in our home, selfishness is your responsibility as a parent to address with your kid. You cannot address selfishness in the life of your child if you're selfish yourself. Selfishness must be dealt with early and often In the home. Selfishness does not get better on its own. Selfishness must be identified. Selfish as a preschooler will lead to selfishness as a kindergarten. Selfishness in kindergarten will lead into the elementary. Selfish elementary students become selfish junior high students. Selfish junior high students become selfish senior high students. Selfish senior high students become selfish college students, and selfish college students become selfish young adults, and selfish young adults become selfish spouses. Selfishness is something that has legs, and it has to be dealt with in our homes, has to be identified, and it must be dealt with early. You have a young man here who had everything at his fingertips, a wealthy dad, a complete home. And yet somehow in his heart developed selfishness. In response to his selfishness, he says to his father, he wants him to give him the portion of his goods. That's his inheritance. In today's vernacular, he walked up to his dad and said, I hate your guts. I wish you were blankety blank dead. Now give me what belongs to me. I'm out of here. That's Tom's version. Pretty close to the Greek. amazes me how the father handles this. Verse number 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, if that was Tommy saying that to me, I would say, shut your mouth. Thank you, Brother Mike. But the, the father gave the boy what he wanted. I think about that sometimes, and it's hard for me to process that. As much as selfishness has to be dealt with early and often in the lives of our kids, mom and dad, sometimes you have to give. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes you have to allow selfishness to have a little rope so that it can bring about a humbleness in their heart. Sometimes, in the home, you kind of have a point where your kid's going to do what your kid wants to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. So you let them go, and you let them do it. I would submit to you, there's always something you can do about it. You can pray. 
Just because you keep your kid from doing wrong does not mean your kid is right. Just because you keep your kid from doing wrong doesn't mean your kid is right. The kid takes the inheritance and he begins to move forward. And I love this. He, he, not many days after, he, he, he has a party here. He's not very smart. He gathers himself together and he takes his journey into a far country. He wanted to get as far away from his home as he possibly could. As far away from his godly dad as he possibly could. As far away from the eyes of righteousness as he could. And when he finally gets as far as he can go, where he thinks he has freedom, he wastes his substance with riotous living. Riotous living, I would submit to you, was not something that he just discovered one day. It was already in his heart. The riot part was already there in the defilement of his heart. The father understood that and the father was letting that be exposed. Mom and dad, sometimes you have to let the wickedness of your kid's heart be exposed so you know where they are. Sometimes you do. The Bible says that he spent all that he had, right? Um, for a little bit of time, it was, it was verse 14, and when he had spent all, it was all play. It was all fun. It was all in. But eventually, the money ran out. He has a season where he's all play and no work. No wisdom, no thought. Completely out of control. This was not available to him in his dad's house. His dad had some requirements. His dad had some direction upon him. He was not able to expose all that he was, but now that he has all that his dad was given to him, he spends it all. After spending it all, the Bible says he began to be in want. Verse 14. I I would submit to you that this was probably the first time in the life of this boy that he'd ever been in want. Let me say a couple of things about this to parents with children in the home. You want your kid to be in want in your home. You do not want to give your kid everything he wants. This is a principle that must be learned in the home. Learning how to be in want, how not to spend all, how not to be selfish, how to have wisdom, order, savings, plan, behavior, These are things you want your child to learn while they're in your home. He began to be in want. Good parenting is not giving your child everything they want. Is not giving your child everything they want. Sometimes a child needs to learn that it takes work to have things. Sometimes a child needs to learn patience and waiting to have. Sometimes a child is not responsible to to be able to use what they have. I believe that we live in a society today that, at least in my day, the kids get way more than we ever got. Just go trick-or-treating. Right? In this position of wantonness, can you imagine for the first time in his life he's broke, and the first time of his life he has no friends, and the first time in his life he's hurting? He goes and he joins himself to a citizen of that country. That's interesting. 
and joining himself to the citizen of that country, he gets a little glimpse of what the world is like. In verse 15, the guy sends him in to feed swine. In verse number 16, no man would give unto him to eat. He gets a little glimpse of what it is like to be on his own. He gets a little glimpse of what it is like to to be wayward. He gets a little glimpse of the unkindness of the world, the opposite uh, 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 of the selfishness of the world. So opposite of this did he grow up in, but this is the lesson that he learns. And in the swine pen, in verse number seventeen, the Bible says he came to himself. I would submit to you that the journey to himself was the evidence of the prayers of his dad. Learn from this, mom and dad. Pastor, my son or my daughter is out of control in our home. Pastor, my son or my daughter is out of our home in a far country and they are wasting their life. Pastor, my, my family is in a direction there where, where my child is be, has joined themselves to the citizens of the world. It, it destroys my heart. It destroys my nerves. It destroys everything I have. But this is the case. Pastor, what can I do? I would submit to you that the greatest thing you can do is develop a prayer life. So let me ask you a question. What type of prayer life do you have? In the hog pen, coming to himself in this journey, the son begins to remember. Verse 17, it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's? The memory and the mind in this moment of wantonness, this moment of brokenness, this moment of complete insanity as he's coming to himself now, he begins to remember his home. Two things he remembers about his home. He remembers that I grew up in a home with love and forgiveness. I grew up in a home that I did not appreciate in his mind the love and forgiveness of my dad. We know the end of the story that the boy comes home as an evidence of redemption. I submit to you, if his Christian home that he grew up in did not have the fragrance of love and forgiveness, where would the boy be? What hope would he have? I would submit to you that instead of coming home, he'd have went from citizen to citizen to citizen. Not much different today. She'll go from man to man to man. He'll go from bed to bed to bed. They'll go from alcohol to drug to relationship. They will go from home to home to home. I promise you that there will be no draw back 
without love and forgiveness. By the way, that's what draws us to Jesus Christ, right? So when he comes to himself, he remembers the love of his dad. He remembers how his dad cared for the servants. He remembered how his dad organizes the home. He remembers all of those things. He does not feel worthy of this. By the way, nobody in a Christian home should feel the responsibility of worthy to be loved. Love ought to be something that ought to be freely given. Hold your hand here and go, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm actually preaching a great message. You should be saying amen more and more and more, to be honest with you. Amen. Thank you. Though I speak, verse number one, with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity I am what so if you want to apply this to our homes we can have all the Christianity in our home we want to have but if we don't have love we have nothing you can have all the money in your home you want to have but if you don't have love you don't have nothing you can have all of the success but if you don't have love and God's love you got nothing This love is a specific love. It's defined, if you would please, in verse number four. Charity or love suffereth long. It's kind. It envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't say, I told you so. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And please say the first three words of verse number eight out loud. Charity never faileth. I would submit to you that if your home is going to be a home that has the power of love and forgiveness, and you're going to see love rule and reign in your home, then love is going to have to rule and reign through your spirit. We know from the book of Galatians that the fruit of the spirit is, what's the very first word? love I'm not sure that we realize as leaders in our home how much damage we do to our homes by not being filled with the spirit of God by operating according to our own wisdom our own flesh our own aggravation our own impulse our own rage our own thoughts 
I don't know about you, but from the book of Ephesians, I find the responsibility that I am to be being filled with the Spirit of God all the time. If you agree with that, would you say amen? There's no way you can love your wife, sir, unless you're first filled with the Spirit of God. I would submit to you that a child in the home is never going to remember the love of the home if the love of God is not in the hearts of the leaders of the home. And it will be evidence, the evidence that, I, that I'm not in love with God is the way that I do not love the people in my home. Pastor, it's easy for you to talk about loving your home. You have a lovely wife. You have lovely children. You have no idea about the children part. No. No. It's just that I grew up in a home and my wife grew up in a home where the love of God ruled and reigned in those homes. And we want it in our home. Pastor, I didn't grow up in a home like that, but you can have it in your home. I submit to you the power of love in a Christian home has to be there. Forgiveness. Second Corinthians 2. Let me show you the the, the reason that one, uh, that forgiveness has to rule and reign in a home. It's so fitting, too, with the context here. The boy comes home and he makes the confession to his dad, and it was an honest confession. The dad hears the confession of sin, and the dad immediately offers forgiveness before he can even get it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's talking about forgiveness within the church here. And he's talking about a relationship here, but I think the, the truth could be transitioned into our homes. Pick up, if you would, please, verse number 5. Paul says, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Paul had a guy that was wrong inside the church, and they corrected him and they punished him. And Paul's coming back now to talk to them about forgiving this guy. Verse number 7. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Now watch this. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch what class? Sorrow. Paul says... Listen, the guy's humble, he's repentant, he's confessed, and he ought to know forgiveness. And for you to withhold forgiveness from him in his honest position, you're going to do danger to him with overmuch sorrow. Keep reading. Verse number 8. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your, what class? Love. So love and forgiveness are tied together. You cannot say you love and not forgive. You cannot forgive without love. That you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things, 
To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, forgive I in the person of Christ. Verse number 11. Lest Satan should get a what? So let's take this thought, lest Satan should get an advantage, and let's go to that boy in that hog pen, right? The insanity of his sin had brought him to the moment where he's come to a mental moment here of brokenness. And in that moment, God is working in his mind. And in that moment, God is working in his spirit. And the place that he takes that mind is back to his home. And God used love and God used forgiveness. So what if the home was absent of those two things? then I think Satan would have got an advantage in this young man's life. Just the way that Satan is getting an advantage in Christian homes today that are absent love and forgiveness. Honest confession, the withholding of forgiveness, the overbearance of sorrow, And the advantage of Satan to work in there and thwart what God is doing. I'm not responsible for all the peoples of the earth, but I am responsible for the people of Plantation Baptist Church. So I say to you men that are leading homes, love and forgiveness ought to be the themes of your homes. And it it won't be if it's not the theme of our lives. Ladies, love and forgiveness radiates from a wife, from a mother, from a single person, from a grandmother. You you cannot let bitterness set in. You must fight that. And I think that Christian homes, if they're going to see God glorified, become a light for the gospel... And faith baths down to children. They got to have the love of God and the forgiveness of God in their homes. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father God. Take us into a great home. There's a relational problem. There's a boy that hates his dad. It's an unrighteous hatred. It's unjustifiable. But he wishes he was dead. And this is to a dad that was loving and forgiving. Evidenced by the way the the dad handled the boy. It's not that love and forgiveness homes don't have problems. It's just when we do have problems and and the divide, divide is there, the memory of that draws back. Satan would love to take that and get an advantage in a situation. We're told in the scriptures that we're to love told in the scriptures that we're to forgive 
this needs to be the reality of Christian homes. I'm amazed, God, at how many Christian people carry bitterness, unforgiveness. They don't know how to show love. They can't talk to anybody. They rage. They curse. They lift their voice. Can't even have a decent conversation. They walk on pins and needles. No love. And no forgiveness. There's just, well, they got what they deserve. I told them this. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Help us, God. Help us to know the joys of these in our homes as we know them personally. I pray tonight, Heavenly Father, that if there's somebody out there in a home out there where this is not evident, that you're speaking to that heart right now. There's a humility there, a cry for God to help, and a desire for you to change their heart and their mind and their home. Help us here. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I chose... A peaceful hymn to go out on. It's entitled Wonderful Peace. You might know it. The words of it will bless you. Stand if you would. And let God just finish the message in our hearts tonight. Wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. God bless you. Far away depths of my spirit tonight roll a melody sweeter than song in celestial like strange it unceasingly falls or my soul like an infinite calm peace peace wonderful peace coming down Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Good night, everyone. You are dismissed.